0: What is God up to? That's the question, isn't it? Life can feel pretty chaotic at times, both in us and around us. And with all of this movement and instability, we look for where God might be. It has been my experience. The question is never, is God moving? The question is, where is he moving? It has also been my experience that far too often in the church, we ask God to bless what we're already doing than doing the thing he's already blessing, right? It's like, hey, God, we've set this up. It would be really cool if you bless this, rather than, God, what are we blessing, and how can we get in line with what you are already doing? Eugene Peterson has this line where he says, the assumption of spirituality is that God is always that always God is doing something before I know it. So the task is not to get God to do something I think needs to be done, but is to become aware of what God is doing so that I can respond to it and participate and take delight in it. When we planted this church, our prayer was not God, will you bless this thing that we're doing? Our prayer is, God, how can, we already jo- how can we join in with what you're already doing here? Because he was already setting a foundation and raising up a people and doing a work in our midst. And it is this prayer that has led us to this series, which is Ordinary Radicals, Common People, Uncommon Devotion. As a community, we have drawn a line in the sand that we do not want to live lives of comfort and convenience, but we want to be a people who live our lives pursuing uncommon devotion. And we feel God calling us into something beautiful and challenging, something unexpected but filled with peace, something sincere and wonderful. We feel God calling our community into this secret place. You see, it's in the secret place that God reveals his heart. It is in the secret place where God reveals what he is up to in the world. It is is from the secret place that we are sent out into the world. Why? Because presence always leads to mission. Because God's heart is for the lost. Presence always leads to mission because God's heart is for the lost. Think of Jesus' words, that he has come to seek and save the lost. That he's not come for the healthy, but he's come for the sick. And so if we follow Jesus, he takes us where he's going, and he's always going after the lost, the sick, the hurting. The word mission literally means the sending out. It is a sending out out. And the God whom we follow is fundamentally a sending God. The Trinity by nature is sending. The Father sends the Son, the Son sends the Spirit, and the Spirit sends the church. Our God is a sending God, and we, brothers and sisters, are a sent people. And so what is God up to? You ask? He's going after the lost, the sick, the hurting, the vulnerable, and the broken. And he's inviting us to join him in his pursuit of them. To become a community of ordinary radicals, it means that we must embrace the the, the identity that we are a sent people from ascending God. However, this is something, this call is something that I think has been lost and forgotten in the modern church. When I have conversations with people, I feel like people feel one of two ways: discouraged or distracted. First is discouraged. When we talk about what is what God is doing, a lot of people are deeply discouraged as they look at the landscape of the church in the West. Look, there's no shortage of Stories of leaders failing, doors closing, generations leaving, churches compromising, and pastors quitting. And it can be easy for people to look at the current situation and think that God is no longer at work here. And so discouraged, we choose one or two paths. The first, we, regu- we relegate ourselves to mediocrity and begin to just manage decline. We say, this is the way it is and is going to be, so we might as well make it the best we can until it fades away. Or, we marry ourselves to worldly power and maintain relevancy, but lose all of our credibility. We get in bed with the loudest voices in our culture, but hear this, we forfeit our calling to speak truth to power. And so we surrender who we are at the altar of worldly power. The other side of things is that we're just distracted. Others of us are just consumed by things other than the kingdom of God. We have put our focus into these other things. And here's the thing. Not all of them are bad. Some of them are good, but often they are out of order. Some of us have put our focus in our careers about climbing that ladder, about reaching that title, about getting to that place, about having those letters at the end of the name right CEO or PhD. It's our career that we're pursuing after. Some of us have put all of our focus into our comfort, our lifestyle, our financial security, the house we live in, the cars we drive. Others of us have put our focus on politics. Others of us have put our focus on money and reaching a certain financial status. And some of us have put our focus on relationships. We are distracted. But what if I told you that in order for renewal to come, first comes decline. What if I told you, in order for something new to be born, other things had to die? What if I told you that every move of God always begins in the margins? Mark Sayers says this, we see this dynamic throughout the history of the church where small groups of individuals find the church of their age fallen into decline and stagnation, infected by the spirit of the era, heresy or religiosity, the remnant that then seeks to recapture the original dynamism and purity of the apostles' faith. Eventually, this fire catches as God acts with power, reshaping individuals, churches, movements, and whole geographic regions. I come bearing good news this morning, brothers and sisters. There is movement in the margins. God is setting apart for himself a people, a remnant, a group of ordinary radicals. This group is made of every tribe, tongue, and nation, it is comprised of every social economic tier, every walk of life, every story and background, and they have nothing in common except for this one thing uncommon devotion for Jesus. To the discouraged, I want to say do not lose heart. Jesus is building his church. And he says that the gates of hell will not prevail. The church marches in her beauty in the face of failure, in the face of circumstance, in the face of every enemy, principality, and power. The church presses on towards the future. Why? Because Jesus is alive. To the distracted, I beg of you. It is time to awaken. Now is not the time for sleepwalking. No more settling into apathy or comfort. Oh, rise to your redemptive potential and see with eyes of faith. For the living God is among us and breathing new life into weary bones. God is moving in the margins. We must only open our eyes to see his hand at work. God began the birth of the modern mission movements in a place called Hernhood with the Moravians. As a community, we've been mapping on their story, not as a way to replicate or duplicate what God did there, but to do this, to reawaken our imagination at what is possible when a group of people consecrate themselves to the Lord. Where a group of people say, we are drawing a line in the sand and saying no more. We're going to do it differently. This community, the Moravians, as we talked about a few weeks ago, devoted themselves to prayer. And from this small community of a couple hundred refugees, a prayer movement was born that lasted 100 years. Where they prayed every hour, people were praying. But what happens is when you get into the secret place with Jesus, you don't stay there. He sends you. And so this community began to get a vision of who, would they, who they would become. And they developed this vision. And with this vision came a symbol. Do <laughs> you find your phone? <laughs> and here was their vision. Our lamb has conquered. We will follow him. And that was their symbol. Our lamb has conquered, and we will follow him. This community followed the lamb all around the world. This community of less than 300 people, hear this, would send 228 missionaries to 10 different countries in just 28 years. And the community of Hernhut never grew more than 300 people. It was always raising up and sending out. In 28 years, 228 missionaries, 10 different countries. Now, when we think of missionaries, often what comes to our mind is something like a missions trip, right? You pack your bag, your Beats, headphones, all this other stuff, and we're going to go love on, like, poor people, right? And so you take this nice flight over to this place and take a car into somewhere else, and then you go to these impoverished nations, and then you love these people there. But... After a couple of weeks, you get back on the plane. Thank you so much. God bless you. Goodbye. Right? This was not the Moravians' model of mission work. When they left, there was no turning back. They went to go be among the people. They went to go integrate their lives into the lives of these different communities. And there's all these beautiful strategic things they did in terms of their missions work. But it wasn't just let me lend a hand. It was let me embody love in this community. Let me live, work, breathe, eat, dwell among you, and show you the love of Jesus. Their commitment to mission was so strong that when a group of them felt the need to meet, to meet and to care for people caught in slavery, 29 of them sold themselves into slavery, that they may reach the slaves and love them well. And in the process, 22 of them died. This was their commitment to love and care for the poor, the forgotten, the outcast. There are stories about how they would build communities and shape these communities around the values of the kingdom. And the kind of stuff they did at that time was unheard of. And it was from this community in the middle of nowhere, Germany, that the modern missions movement was born. A small group of ordinary radicals birthed the great move of God by simply following Jesus where he was going as Jesus was going towards the lost. Now, before we jump into the text and then into the, the realities of these things, I want to invite you just to close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to bring in mind someone you know who doesn't know Jesus. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a co-worker. I want you to hold them in your mind. See their face. Keep them before your mind for just a few moments. As we move forward, I want to ask you to begin asking the Holy Spirit how he might want you to interact with him this week. Maybe it's an encouraging text. Maybe it's going out for a cup of coffee or lunch. And maybe this week is the week that you share your journey of following Jesus with them. But all I'm inviting you to do right now is just ask. And as we move forward in this conversation, we must remember that mission is about those people in your mind that you see. The ones whom Jesus has set his affections on. And is calling unto himself. Alrighty. So in the time we have remaining, I want to look at this moment in the life of the early church in Acts chapter 3 to kind of serve as a launching point for what a community devoted to mission would look like here in our context. Our text begins in verse 1. It says, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Often when we think about missions, I think the first thing that comes to mind is global missions, right? And evangelism in foreign nations. But I think that that's a reduced vision of missions. I think the larger umbrella of missions is much, is, is much broader. It has a far, uh, a far wider reach. I would say that for a community to be driven by mission, it means that a community is focused on following Jesus where he is going and joining in the work that he's already doing. Mission is simply partnering with God to bring healing and renewal into all of the earth. And I think mission separates into three separate categories, discipleship, vocation, and justice. First, discipleship. First and foremost, God longs to bring men and women from death to life, from slavery to freedom, from enemies of God to children of God. And this happens through sharing the good news about Jesus, teaching them to obey all the things that he's commanded and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mission, first and foremost, looks like discipleship, making disciples, helping people follow Jesus through sharing the story, teaching them to obey, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Next, it looks like vocation. Now, in Genesis, humanity is given the task to rule and subdue the earth. And I've talked about this a million times. So if you're, like, sick of it, I'm sorry, but I'm going to keep preaching it. So um, the idea is that we bring forth beauty and order. We harness the raw potential of earth and bring forth something that causes uh, humanity to thrive and flourish. And we do this, hear this, through our work. A lot of people in churches have a paradigm of mission as only functioning through official positions in the church. Pastors, worship leaders, evangelists, etc. But, but the biblical vision of mission is you going out into the places and spaces you're going already and God meeting you there. Including and especially your work. That your work really matters. And God wants to do it to bring forth redemption. Now, the last one is justice. Justice. Right relationship with God and right relationship with others, hear this, is married to holding up, the cause of the, holding up the cause of the oppressed and the vulnerable. Righteousness and justice are inseparable. They're two sides of the same coin. To be a missional people means we care about justice and do everything we can to speak truth to power and to love our neighbors well to, in the language of Jeremiah, to seek the peace and prosperity of the places we find ourselves. Mission looks like discipleship, vocation, and justice. But this begs the question, where does mission begin? Where am I being sent? Notice our text again. One day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Notice as our text begins, Peter and John aren't going anywhere unusual. It was their well-worn path in their lives already. They were going to the temple when it was time to pray, because that's what they did. Every day, three in the afternoon, they made their way to the temple to pray. What was like any other day for them became an opportunity for Peter and John to become conduits of God's kingdom. Often when we think about mission, we think about the places we ne- we have yet to go to. Across the world and in these impoverished nations or whatever. What if I told you, what if I told you that mission begins where you're already going? Mission begins where you're already going. What if I told you your favorite coffee shop was the place for mission? What if I told you the grocery store was the place for mission? What if I told you your kid's school was the place for mission? What if I told you that square of cubicles at your work was the place for mission? What if I told you the gym that you attend was the place for mission? What if I told you the classroom that you sit in was the place for mission? Because mission begins where you're already going. You are being sent by God into these places and spaces where you can be conduits of God's power all around you. All of these places that feel extremely ordinary are the very places God longs to move the most. All you must do is ask God how he's already moving and join him. Now, the next thing I want you to notice is that prayer fuels mission. Here's what I want you to notice. Prayer fuels mission. What were they doing when they went to the temple? What were they going to do? They were going to what? Pray. It was on the way to pray that the place, that, the, the, that place became a place for mission. Tyler Staton says this. In Acts 2, the flaming tongues of Pentecost descended while the believers were gathered for what? Morning Prayer. In Acts 4, the foundations of the temple shook in response to the church's ordinary prayer gathering. In Acts 10, Peter received a vision that the gospel was not just for Jewish people, but the entire world and the family of Jesus was going to be expanded to all the nations while praying midday prayers. Prayer fuels mission. As the people of God build their lives around the presence of God, Opportunities for mission will be born all around them. Think about even in the life of Jesus. In all of his pursuing the lost, what is the one thing we see him do all the time? He goes away to lonely places to pray. Jesus understood something. The power for mission is born in the secret place. The power for mission is born in the place of prayer. Mission flows from this place. Verse 2. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going in the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention Expecting to get something from them. I believe that the scriptures put in details for very specific reasons. The scripture authors aren't haphazard or scattered-minded when they write these texts. Every single word is penned with intention. It is by no surprise this man is sitting at a gate called Beautiful. But we'll come back to that. To give you guys a visual, boom, there it is. This is what the temple looked like in Jesus' day. And you see that beautiful arrow pointing to the gate called Beautiful is where this man would be positioned. Now, what's interesting to notice is that he is standing at the gate between where the Jewish people can go in and worship and where everybody who is not a Jew is, is pushed out, called the court of the Gentiles. And so this man stands at the barrier between being able to go into the presence of God and being amongst the people. And this is where he is placed every single morning. You see... Most scholars believe that this gate was called beautiful because it was wrapped in Corinthian brass, which was like super nice back then. It was like the thing to wrap something in. It was this Corinthian brass, and so it was this beautiful gate. And there this man sits broken at a gate called beautiful. Something that displays uh, wealth and, and prominence and power, this man sits begging for money. Now, I want you to imagine what it's like to grow up without the ability to walk in the ancient world. You are deeply dependent on other people. So much so that the only way he can go to that place to beg every day is if somebody carries him. And week after week, month after month, year after year, there he is, asking for money. He can't work, he can't provide for himself. He can't really have a normal life. And I'm sure at first, when he first was positioned there, it was easy to look in the eyes of the people that gave him money, but as time went on, he felt less and less human. became very transactional. Familiar faces, neighbors, people that he knew would give him money, but it felt very business as usual. Notice in the text it tells us that He's not making eye contact with Peter and John, not until he thinks they're going to give something to him. That he sees them coming, but he keeps his head down until they ask him to look at him. Now, as Peter and John walk by as he asks for money, this was not out of the ordinary at all. Peter and John probably passed six or seven people on their way to the temple asking for money. And what would typically happen in the ancient world is kind of like once you've claimed a place, that was your territory, right? Like nobody else would come there to beg. That was his spot. And so the community would know him as the man who sat at the gate called Beautiful. At the end of our passage, that's how they refer to him. Oh, yeah, he was the guy who sat there because they all knew him as they went to the temple to worship. And so this was not out of the ordinary at all. This would happen all the time. So what was so special about this moment? Well... Peter and John sense that God is up to something more. You might be wondering, how would I know if God wants to do something in ordinary places? Here's the revolution idea, are you ready? Pay attention. Pay attention. Too much of our life is lived in autopilot. You ever have those moments where you made an entire drive home without even realizing you were driving? First of all, it's terrifying you're like, what just happened, right? <laughs> and, and you're like, you, you're like we could have hit something and I would just, and just would have kept going and not even known that something had happened. It's only until something happens that wakes you from that place of autopilot. Most of our, most of our life is lived just through our habits, through doing the daily routine, the, the rise and the grind and the whole thing. And I wonder how many opportunities are we missing by just not paying attention, by just going through life business as usual. This was a regular trip for Peter and John, and probably not the first time they saw this man, especially if they'd been going to the temple for some time. But today, something was different. They paid attention. The, uh, Paula Darcy has this quote that just always wrecks me, and I shared it a million times, but I'm gonna share it again, sorry. But she says this, God comes to us disguised as our life. So often, The invitations of the Spirit are disguised or clothed in everyday, ordinary moments. These moments moments are invitations to partner with God, and they come to us as everyday interactions. It is simply the noticing of a downcast face. It is the notice of a long pause and deep breath before the usual response. I'm doing good, how are you? It is listening to the prompts of the Spirit to ask more questions or to talk to that person. These invitations come as whispers, and you can only hear them if you are listening. I want to challenge you. For the next few days, just pay attention to your life. Don't go into autopilot. Don't do business. Just pay attention to your life and watch the beautiful opportunities sprout up all around you for meaningful encouragement and connection, for opportunities to bless and serve, for for moments that were always waiting for you there you just never realized. I just challenge you for the next few days, do that. Now, Peter and John don't treat this guy as everybody else does. Notice they tell him, They first look at him and then they ask him to look at them. This is really important. Too often, we look away from opportunities that God wants us to minister and bless into because they're hard to look at. I think too often, we become accustomed to staring pain right in the face and moving on. I think a lot of this has to do with like formation, the fact that you'll be watching the news and hear about like a 15 car pile up and then right after that about how a dog walker walked 50 dogs or something like that and it's like something inconsequential and irrelevant but it's like something really painful and then something trivial and that's how the news comes into you so you get accustomed to coupling something that's nonsense and something that affects and deeply impacts somebody's life at the same time. And if we're honest, we don't really look into those painful moments because it's just too hard sometimes. And we don't want to feel sad. So we change the channel or do the thing. And the goal of this is not to just go watch a YouTube compilation of really heartbreaking things, but it's that when pain presents itself to you, do not be quick to turn away. Learn to sit in that pain and sense how the Spirit might be inviting you to help alleviate some of that pain. And so Peter and John look at this man. They spend time looking at him. And here's what's important they begin to actually see him. Not as a beggar, not as somebody with a broken story, but as a man made in the image of God. They see him for who he truly is, a son. Part of mission is just beginning to look and see and begin to see people as they actually are. And notice Peter and John want connection, and they say, no, look at us. This isn't gonna be business as usual. Something else is happening here. We wanna meet eyes. I wanna look into your eyes, and I want you to look into mine because something different is happening here. And so they do. When we talk about mission, people can often be referred to like projects but they are most certainly not. People are worthy of love, care, and attention. Remember, the kingdom of God is not about efficiency. It's about waste. It's about love. It's about lavishly pouring out. There's this line from Dietrich Bonhoeffer where he says this, love gets close enough to know. And if we want to be people of love, it means we get close enough to know we get within the proximity of pain and hurting, and we sit there. To be people who embody love and treat other as the Imago Day, it means we get close enough to know their pain, hear their story, and look them in their eyes to see another, one another as we truly are. Now, to be a person who lives on mission means two things. You have to be open to interruptions, and you have to live with intention. You have to be open to interruptions, and you have to live with intention. First, interruptions. Being a person of love is inconvenient. If you haven't realized it is, am I right, parents? Am I right, spouses? Being a person of love is inconvenient. It's inconvenient to try to reason with my toddler at at seven in the morning why his pants are on backwards. It's inconvenient, right? And he will swear up and down, they are not, but they most certainly are, right? That's inconvenient. It's inconvenient to make dinner for all that you know. It's inconvenient to do all of these things. It gets into your time, right? It's inconvenient for us to wrestle on the floor and play WWE for a few hours. That's inconvenient. But that's what love looks like. Jesus was always comfortable being stopped for people. If you read through the Gospels, he's always going somewhere else or people stop him. Now, I'm type A. Me and my wife just went on a road trip. I'm like, let's go. Minimal stops. We got snacks. We got food. We're going. You know what I'm saying? It's like we got to get to the place. If you go with me to the airport and you're one of those people that has all these things under your arm and you're not ready for the security check, nah, not having it. You don't get to travel with me anymore after that, right? You got the easy slip on shoes. Everything's already out of your bag. Everything is easily accessible. You're not messing with all these appendages and things hanging off you. No, we're going right? Efficiency. That's how we get through TSA. This is not the way that love works. Love is inconvenient, and it often looks like interruptions. And so all the time that Jesus is on the journey, people are interrupting him. And love always looks like stopping and connecting with those people. Now, there's the other side of this coin. What I don't want you to think is that, like, you will never be able to then live any sort of life if you're always stopping interruptions. So the other side of the coin is a life of intention. Jesus was comfortable letting people down. And you have to know that. There are all sorts of stories in the scriptures where there's still a crowd and Jesus says, all right, I'm done for the night. See you later. And, Jesus, wait, wait, you know, I was number 562, can you please? No, I'm leaving. See you later. And that sounds like, oh, how could he? He's the Lord, right? How could he leave all these people? Because Jesus also had a bandwidth. He was also human. And Jesus knew for him to do the things the Father has called him to do, it means he had to also learn how to say no. It means he was, he was more than willing to stop for the things to say yes to, but he also had the strength to, know to say, learn to say no. There are those of you in here right now who have been helping people at your own detriment there are people that you have in your life that are pulling you away from your relationship with jesus but you've categorized it as mission as something good for you to do and it's it's literally robbing you from the inside out love also looks like learning to say no jesus was comfortable letting people down and he was their messiah how much more are you and this is not like a, oh, self-help, I have to sit in the bath and read my novel. No, this is so that I can go back to the secret place and be filled up, you know? It's not like, oh, you're intruding on my badminton lesson. It's like, no, I need to go be with a father and, and rekindle my relationship with him so I'm not pouring out of an empty cup, right? It's not face masks and pedicures, right? It's, it's going to Jesus in the secret place. And none of those things are bad. Like, if you meet the Lord, there, cool. But what I'm saying is, There's an intentionality behind the stepping away. It's not just stepping away because it's inconvenient at heart. It's stepping away to be filled up again. And so those are both the same coins, interruption and intention. Now, moving right along, verse 6. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. The first thing I want you to notice is this. Mission always costs you something. Always. Here, Peter and John are broke. (laughs) And that's not an exaggeration. They're like, literally, dude, we don't have any money. But here's what we do have. And they perform a miracle. Right? And so mission always costs you something, even if it's risk even if it's risk, but know that Peter and John were able to devote themselves to going to the temple to pray because there are other people who are working regular jobs funding the mission. So those people are sacrificing for the sake of the mission, and Peter and John are stepping out in risk. I want you to imagine you're walking with Peter and or John, and there's a person in a wheelchair sitting by the door of the church, And they're like, dude, I don't have any change, but get up and walk. You'd be like, right? It's like I'm not with this dude, you know. He's up on his own thing. I'm so sorry. Imagine the kind of risk and faith that it took to proclaim something like that. What if they were wrong? What if they helped him up and he didn't get up, right? Those are the questions that run through my mind as a very pragmatic person. But they were so in tune with what the Spirit wanted to do, they knew they could proclaim something like that and God would bless it. And God would heal him. And it would happen just like that. And always, mission always costs us something. Sometimes it's our generosity and sometimes it's risk. But here's the other thing I want you to notice. That wherever the people of God are being sent out, power follows. Paul tells the church in Corinth this. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but what power He's like, I'm not just coming here with sweet platitudes and good tidings. I'm coming to you here on behalf of the resurrected Jesus who conquered the grave. There is power where the people of God are are, are being sent out. Next is the joy of mission. Verse 8. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then people went into the temple courts. When then he went into the temple courts walking and jumping and praising God. So this man is healed. The first thing I want to say is this notice, this gate called Beautiful became prophetic because the very place this man sat broken is now the place that he's dancing. What was once broken became beautiful. And there he stood dancing before the Lord. This last weekend, Cel- Celeste and I were away at a retreat and. Uh, As a group of pastors, we came together, and we just wrote down things that were really hard for us to go through in this last year. And we put them up all on a wall on post-it notes. And then, a couple of days later, after getting some much-needed rest, riding some horses, and sharing a life with other people, we line dance now. You know, your boy's got some moves, but that was the real deal. I needed a cup of water and an inhaler after that bad boy. We were getting it, you know. And, and one, of the, one of the pastors prophetically spoke. He says, the very place that we marked our pain is the very place that we're dancing. We're dancing before our pain. This became this man's story. Wherever the mission of God is, it always looks like joy. It always looks like joy because that's the fruit of the kingdom the fruit of the kingdom is dancing with tears in your eyes. Because somehow, in the midst of the worst possible situations, you have joy. Isn't that what Paul says? Peace beyond understanding? To always have joy? How is that possible? That's what the kingdom is like. It's like dancing before our pain. And the same place this man stood... Without the courage to look people in the eye, he has the courage to become undignified and dance before these strangers. And the same gate that represented the barrier that he could not cross is now the dance floor in which he is he's overjoyed. This is what the kingdom is like. And mission always looks like joy. Notice what happens next. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement of what had happened to him. You want to know when you're in a genuine move of God? The name on everybody's lips is Jesus. Notice they're not Peter and John. They healed this dude. So look at what God did. The guy we knew, he used to sit at the temple is now dancing in the gates. You know when you're in a genuine move of God, when the name on everybody's lips is Jesus. Did you see what he did? Do you see what he's doing? And that it's so much bigger than any personality or any gifting or any particular expression. It looks like the kingdom coming. Isn't this what Jesus says? That they will see your good deeds and do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. Not say, look at their good deeds, but look at how good he is. This is the fruit of mission, is that the name of Jesus is on everybody's lips. I can only imagine the kind of stories God wants to tell in our community. The stories that have yet to be been told. The stories of dancing in the midst of pain. The stories of being set free, the stories of wonder and joy that we all might sit here and say, look at what God did. But in order for those stories to be told, people must be sent. Now, I don't have a ton of time for this. I'm going to do this really quickly, LOL, but I'm going to do this really quickly. So, how do we become a missional community? You ready? We're going to go fast here. First, we must confront the idols of our context. In all the places that the apostles go, they always confront the idols. What are the idols of the place that we live? Often, the things that you're the most afraid to let go of. When I think about our community and our context, I think our comfort is really high on that list. And what I'm not saying here is like, let's go sell your houses and I'll go live in the bosque. But what I am saying is this. Far too often, most of our decisions are made on whether or not it would feel good for us rather than, is this what the Spirit is calling us to do? That's a place where we need to talk about and confront. The next thing we must do is contextualize and communicate. One of the things I think we fail to do is learn how to share the story of Jesus accurately and beautifully, and from a place that's personal, and not that's like the Romans road, right? Did you know that if you die today, right? Poof, doors getting shut. No thanks, right? We have to learn to contextualize our message, and learn how to share it in ways that are appropriate. Next, we have to embrace our identity as ordinary missionaries. That we're just people going into our workplaces and the places and spaces that we love, not with a sign or a megaphone. I don't expect you to stand in your parking lot or your work tomorrow morning. Good morning, everybody. Just wanted to say, did you know that Jesus is the Lord? But for you to be sensitive to the promptings and invitations of the Spirit, to meet needs, to share blessings, to offer words of encouragement, and when the Spirit prompts, share the story of Jesus unapologetically. Next is for us to become a counterculture. Let's be real honest. Why would anybody in the world want to be a part of the church? On the outside looking in, does it seem like we have a good amount of unity here? That we all get along? That it's even a remotely nice place to be? No. Most people's experiences are judgment, condemnation, and hypocrisy. Why would they want to be here? Our community needs to become a community that is beautiful to the outside world. Next... Um, we must become a community who is unified, right? If we can't even all get on the same page, then what are we doing, right? And this is the very thing that Jesus prayed for in the garden. Father, that they may be one as you and I are one. And so that looks like us here as a community championing and celebrating the work that God is doing regardless of who it's being done through. Celebrating those successes lifting up the arms of brothers and sisters, working together as a team partners for the gospel. Now, that part's over, sorry. Um, we'll have some more stuff on that too, but in the time closing, I wanna invite Brittany up, our Director of Mission and Justice, and wanna share a little bit about the future. So, big hand for Brit. <laughs> so, before we get started, I just wanna honor this woman. She does so much that nobody in this church sees. She, she has, in the last year that we brought her on as a director of Mission and Justice, has committed herself to extending this arm of our church out to the community, and it has been beautiful. We had a meeting a few weeks ago where she had shared all the initiatives we had done this last year, some of them known to you, some of them unknown to you, and I was baffled. I was like, oh, yeah, we did all of that. She's like, yeah, we did all that, right, because she was the one doing it all. And so, yes, the Bible says show honor where honor is due, and she's worthy of that effort. Now, we want to talk a little bit about what mission is going to look like in our church in the upcoming year. And so, next slide. Dope. I'm going to talk a little bit about this. This is kind of the framework that we have for mission here at our church, and I'm going to go really fast. I'm sorry, but we're going to move along. So, at the sacred core is this community. The teachings of the scriptures are clear that as followers of Jesus, we need to care for this family. Notice what it says in Acts, is that the community gave so generously that there was no need among them, that every single person who belonged to that community was taken care for. This is our first priority, as loving the people well in this room that we have here in our family. And so um, that's gonna look expressed in our community groups like our missions night, first and foremost, caring for the people in our, our, our community group. If you are not in a community group, the upcoming season will be um, in January. That is where the church happens. This is awesome. We love this. Sunday gatherings are really, really important. If they weren't, we wouldn't do them. But equally as important is the community groups that we belong to. And this is where needs can get met. Um, and I could let you talk about the other spheres of influence. But, so our community first. Then the next circle is that of neighbors. So yes, your actual literal neighbors who live next door to you, but also the people you just rub shoulders against. Your barista, your barber, your friends, your family, those people who are just in your circle. This is the next branch of people that we wanna love and reach out to. The next circle that is that of serving. So we have all sorts of different initiatives that we run here at the church that we want to invite you to partner with us in um, as we do all sorts of different things. We have this food drive coming up this month, um, the trunk or treat that we did last month, and the, like, 23 other things we did over the last year. Um, All beautiful ways for you to serve and partake in that. And then the last is our partners. And so we have our our group of partners who we partner with um, who are Valencia Shelter Services, El Retrito de los Niños, H2 Academic Solutions, and I'm forgetting the third or the last one. Ellen Chito, oh, Elijah Family Ministries. I'm all, hey, that's your job. I'm just kidding. All right, so I'll let Britt talk about the rest. About this.
1: So um, one thing that we really want to uh, shift our focus on in our community groups um, is our missions. Um, I feel like this past, with the other community groups um, that we've been, that we've had, uh, missions sometimes gets lost, it, it gets forgotten. It's the last thing we think about. what are we gonna do? We're scrambling. And what I really want to do is is kind of bring our focus back that we're our, we're each other's first mission field. Um, we want to make sure that that we are serving each other so that we are healthy, whole, and supported. Um, then we uh, if so, if in that the, we feel like each other, we're 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 all good. Uh, we want to move out into our, our sp- spheres of influence, our circles, and that's our neighbors, our family members, uh, coworkers, and um, and then lastly into the and in, out into the community, doing mission projects. Yep. Um, so this this is uh, another. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Losing my train of thought. Um, this is our another way that we're going to that I would I hope that we are going as a church to focus our missions is um, centering around our community, uh, meeting the needs of the people in our community, in our uh, church here, but also going out and meeting the needs in in a in the community at large. Um, this looks like biblical hospital hospitality. Um, we're, you know, being, being interrupted, you know, being in co- being, having these inconveniences, inviting people to dinner, you know, going out into next the public places, you know, go to the coffee shops, go to, you know, the grocery stores, see the people, look them in the eye, speak with them. You know, that, that, that could be the best thing that happened to them that day, you know, was somebody caring enough to say, I see you, you know, I'm here for you. If you need anything, you know, we see each other every Wednesday when I come to the grocery store. So, next slide. Um, the events uh, that, that are coming up, we've got the uh, Thanksgiving drive. We, um, we're partnering with H2 in Belen, and I really wanna give a shout out to that, uh, that organization. Um, They are very in tune with the um, food and housing insecure people in our whole uh, county at large, not just in Belen, but in Las Lunas and and, um, in the county at large. And we want to get the donations of Thanksgiving sides. We want to get warm coats. um, But we also want to partner with them with their uh, Wednesday night um, or afternoon dinner. If you, you know, if you feel led to do that, there's several ways that you can, and you can sign up on the website. Um, Just go into the give tab. No, right on the front page. Sorry. Um, The what? (laughs) Yeah, give tab. Um, So we're also we're also. I don't know if anyone remembers the Sunday serve where we went to the uh, parks and we picked up trash, we provided coffee. We wanna do that again. We wanna keep doing that because that gets us out into the community and not just as, a, as one person in the park, but as a group of people. And there is power when we are together. You know, There is power when we move together and go and search people that, um, that we can influence and we can talk with, we can help. Um, well, we did the trunk retreat and that was amazing. Thank you all for your help there. Yeah. Um, and then yes, our partners, um, El Ranchito de los Niños, is a wonder. They're all wonderful and amazing uh, organizations. And this is one. This is one thing that we really uh, focus on here. I don't know if, uh, what, we, what we like to do is partner with organizations that are already doing. There's no sense in coming up with another program, coming up with something else. We wanna go and we wanna partner with the ones that are already out there doing the work and, and see how we can partner with them yeah. to further their mission, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, yeah. I am so excited. We are doing next year, I guess. Yeah, 2023. We're already, we're already at 2023. Uh, a missional life course. So when I came on to the team, Andrew emailed this thing to me. You need to do this, and I was so blessed. I, it, I that uh, course is amazing, and I'm just really, really, really excited to put that on and um, and walk through it. First, I did it by myself, so I'm really excited to do it with other people because there's a, they they do these basically like one-week experiments, you know, on, on living out mission. And so it's like to hear from other people, you know, how their mission went that week is, I just can imagine it's, it's going to be really encouraging. So I hope that whenever we do that, you all sign up. And last, but definitely not least, I am one person. I can only do what I can do. Um, and I thank all of you for every time I've asked for you all to partner with me um, in what Jesus is doing for our community. but I am I'm reaching out. I'm asking that uh, that other people join with me on this team. Um, a team is not made of one person, and so I can't do it alone. And I yeah, I just. I never want you all to feel like you're unqualified because we're all unqualified and we do this through Jesus' love. So if you want to partner in the team with, with me on this team, uh, head to the what's the name of the tab? Uh, serve tab. The serve tab. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm and missions is on there, so please please sign up.
0: Yeah. Big hand for Britt.
2: Thank you, Brittany. Oh, we are in a house where the name of Jesus is on our lips. So would you please stand for me? For a moment, let's just settle back in. There was a lot happening at the end. There was a lot of good stuff happening. And I'm glad the baby's been comforted. That was some hard work for those ladies in the bathroom. Um, But now let's just settle back in and just speak the name of Jesus. Can we just tell him how much we love him for a moment? Jesus, Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. We want to respond to what we've heard today, and there are so many opportunities for response. God is already moving. Where are you called to join him today? Where are you personally called? Did you see somebody in your mind that you could reach out to this day as Andrew challenged? Did the community group spark your interest? Is there maybe a a way you can respond to, to sign up and join a community group if you haven't before? Or maybe lead a community group? If you haven't before, there are so many ways that we were given to respond today. What is moving in your heart? I pray that as we worship, you will process that, and that as your hands are open, you will open your heart and your mind to say yes to Jesus, to say yes to where He is drawing you. I just also want to speak to your hearts a minute. We had some words this morning as we prayed for you before you came. And I wonder if maybe all these mission things are are great, but you need to be healthy, whole, and supported. And I wonder if your feet are stuck in quicksand, and you'd love to be pulled out and find some solid ground. And if that's you today, we'd love to pray with you. Perhaps you feel forgotten. And we want to remind you that God sees you. You are seen and loved. And the final vision that we were given was of a cliff on an edge looking down, and it's scary. And you're afraid you might fall. But God wants to flip that vision and see where you have come from. See where he's brought you from. So as we quiet our hearts and think about all those wonderful places to join and serve, or we think about the needs in our own hearts, or perhaps the needs of the person next to us, would you respond? Would you respond where maybe you're led to pray for the person standing right next to you? If you don't have anyone around to pray and you would like to get prayed for, we would love to pray with you. You could just step out of the aisle or come up here, but we encourage you to not be afraid to say yes to what God is drawing you to say yes to this morning.